Galatians 1. <clears throat> Thank you for your prayers for me and my family over the last several weeks as we've been out of town. Uh, I'll show you pictures in the days ahead. I know you love vacation videos and pictures, so I'll show you some of those in the days ahead. Before I left, we talked about freedom, uh, freedom, to let freedom ring. And one of the verses we used was from Galatians 5, 1. Um, this is going to be interesting. It's going to be like this all day. Let's see. I'm going to see. Oh, we'll be fine. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. That's Galatians 5.1. We'll get to it. Um, over, over the years, one of the phrases we've heard in the United States is this, freedom is not free. Freedom is not free, and especially in light of all that happened in 9-11, we heard this phrase over and over again that had to do with freedom, not being free. And this is from the Korean War Memorial in Washington, D.C. We believe it so much, we put it on memorials. And in some ways, it indicates to me two things. One uh, is the price that has been paid for our freedom by those who serve in the military and those who've given their life for democracy, for what we entitle freedom. The other is that we as Americans are expected to um, sacrifice and give something for our freedom. The idea that freedom isn't, isn't really free. It costs something, either for somebody or from us. And there's this continuing ideal in America that sometimes gets translated into Christianity that we have to fight and sacrifice for our own freedom. It may be true in a political sense, but I do not believe it's true in a biblical sense. True spiritual freedom is different because no matter how hard we work, how many sacrifices we make, we cannot gain freedom by our own works. Let me say that again. No matter how hard we try, no matter how many church services we go to, no matter how much effort, true freedom spiritually is not gained by our own works. Into this discussion comes the book of Galatians. In these six weeks, I want us to examine how freedom really comes into our lives. These six chapters of the book of Galatians are so rich and have had such an influence in the history of the church that really to even attempt to cover it in six weeks is a little bit ridiculous. Uh, but I'm going to give it my best shot. Uh, we're going to look at a chapter a week. I would encourage you, uh, I was talking to Brian Shoop this morning, and he told me he had read through the whole book in one sitting. I, I would encourage you to do that. Just take 10 minutes, maybe. I, I don't know. Some, we read at different rates, but it's only six chapters. Read the whole book to get the whole flow of things, uh, because it's really important to see Paul's argument here in Paul's discussion. So for the next six weeks, we're going to do a Bible study, a study of the book of Galatians, especially as it relates to this concept of 
freedom. Because here's my contention. There's a lot of us who aren't free. We are burdened. We are burdened. We are, we're locked in. There's, there's a yoke that's upon us. And, and, and it's, I believe Christ came to do what? Set us free. That's Galatians 5.1. Christ came to set us free. It was for freedom that Christ came to set us free. I'm not sure. Maybe it's been a long break between us all, but I'm not sure you're buying this yet. That freedom is really important. And that many of us are not as free as we like to be or free in the sense God intends for us to be. But I want all of us to take this journey in, in freedom together. Galatians, as you know, was written by Paul. And for those of you who have been in church a long time, you know all about Paul. You've heard about Paul. Paul was, um, Paul was basically a church planter. But before he was a church planter, he was born and raised in a Judaic, a Jewish lifestyle. He went to the best schools. Uh, he went to the most elite Jewish schools that you could go to. When he talks about who he studied with and where he studied, Jewish people knew. Uh, it's like saying, hey, I, I'm a graduate of Harvard or I'm a graduate of some, whatever you think is elite. Paul went to the elite school to study Jewish law and Jewish lifestyle. He, he lived a life of following all the rules, the laws to the extreme. When Christianity comes on the scene, Paul sees it as his responsibility to defend God against the heresy of Christianity. So he goes out and starts arresting those who are followers of Jesus Christ. This is following the, the life and death and burial and resurrection of Jesus. He goes out and grabs Christians from different cities and imprisons them. Some are killed. Paul is what we would call today a religious extremist. A religious extremist who was defending God. And he saw that what he was doing was on God's behalf. But then he has this dramatic conversion where he is literally knocked off his high horse and, uh, and, and comes to a dramatic encounter with the living Christ. And his life is radically transformed. After a period of time and training and reorientation and of cleansing himself, he, he goes back into church life and eventually becomes a church planter and writer of the New Testament. And he goes out and he starts these churches. Now, as a church planter, Paul would not stay in very, very long in one place. So he'd go into a city, go into a region... He'd start a church. He might stay there a year. but might stay there just a matter of months. I think the longest he ever stayed was like two years. And he would plant a church, get it going, and he'd raise up some leaders fast. And then he's, he's on his way to plant more churches. A lot of times what would happen is once Paul left and a church was planted, some people would come in following him saying, Hey, you know what Paul taught you was pretty good, but there's some things Paul didn't teach you. There's some stuff you need to know. And one of these churches is the church in Galatia. In the church in Galatia, Paul has left. 
Some people have come in and they're basically saying to the church in Galatia, here's, here's the rest of the gospel that Paul didn't tell you. Yeah, Jesus came and uh, died for your sins, but if you're going to become a Christian, then you've got to become Jewish first. You've got to follow the laws. You've got to be circumcised. You've got to do all the things that make you Jewish in order to be Christian. So Paul is writing back to the church in Galatia to correct this false teaching that has entered, entered the church and to correct them. And we're going to do something a little unusual. I'm going to read through the entire first chapter of the book of Galatians. So if you have your Bible, which I hope you do, follow along. Or if you didn't, if you happen to forget it today, then you follow on the screen with me, starting in Galatians chapter 1, verse 1. Now, listen to it in the light of what I've told you about how Paul received the gospel, saved by this miraculous conversion, started this church, and now people have come in and are trying to add to what Paul has said. So beginning in Galatians, Galatians 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle, sent not from men, nor by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers with me, to the churches in Galatia. By the way, Galatia is in what we know as modern-day Turkey, up toward uh, the, the Black Sea, in case you're wondering where, where in the world is Galatia. It's in what we know as Turkey. So he's writing back, and here we go. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let him be eternally condemned. As we've already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let him be eternally condemned. Do you think Paul's trying to make a point here? I mean, I'm saying, and by the way, our English language doesn't quite capture how strongly Paul is saying this. I mean, he's basically speaking a curse on these people to say, if they're preaching another gospel, may they eternally be damned, condemned, set apart. Uh, he's speaking a strong word. Going on, verse 10. Am I now trying to win the approval of men or of God? Or am I trying to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. I want you to know, brothers, that the gospel I preached is not something that man made up. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. For you have, for you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism. How intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many Jews of my own age and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when God, who set me apart from birth and called me by his grace, 
was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I did not consult any man, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was, but I went immediately into Arabia and later returned to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Peter and stayed with him 15 days. I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. I assure you before God that I, what I am writing to you is no lie. Later, I went to Syria and Cilicia. I was personally unknown to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only heard the report. The man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they praised God because of me. This passage speaks about the gospel and grace in very strong terms. And it applies not only to the Galatian Christians, but it really applies to us as well. These false teachers have come in and they're trying to, to preach this message that in order to be a good Christian, you have to, you have to be Jewish. And Paul is angry. Paul is worked up. Paul is saying, look, I was a great Jew. I was really good and advancing. And God redeemed me. And what I've preached to you is not given to me by anybody. This is God's word. He's saying, this is not my gospel. These people are coming in after me saying, hey, Paul's gospel was pretty good but there's some things you don't know. Paul is saying, look, it is not my gospel. It's God's gospel. It's God who gave it, not me. I could never make up something like this. And he's saying, basically, any, any revision of the gospel, any addition to the gospel makes it no gospel at all. Gospel revision, in Paul's mind, equals a reversal. You're going back. Now, we don't, we'll look at this in the days ahead, but one of the things Paul's saying is, look, you can't add to this great news because anything you add is going to take away from it and make it not good news in the first place. Paul could have added this. By the way, this was all settled back in the Council of Jerusalem when the church leaders got together and said, you don't have to become Jewish to become Christian. He couldn't say to him, go read Acts 15 because Acts wasn't around at the time. But if you want to read it, you could go back to Acts and look at Acts 15 and see where church leaders decided on this issue. Here's what I want to see to this morning. We are, we are saved and continually saved by the gospel of grace. It goes to the core of what we mean, it means to walk in freedom. So let's come back to this and look at these three points about God's grace in our lives today because the longer you're in church, the harder it is to live by grace. I'm not sure you're still with me. The, hard, the longer you're in church, the harder it is to live by grace because eventually you're going to pick up, hey, the gospel was good, but now if you want to be a good Christian, here's what you got to do. And we all are infected with this if we're not careful. 
I, I want to try and return us to the gospel, which is the message of God's grace in our life. So the first point is this. God's grace is given to us. It's given to us. In other words, God reached out to you. You didn't reach out to God. God reached out to you. You're not the Now you may think, "Hey, I was looking for God." Yes, you were looking for God. And you want to know why you were looking for God? Because God was calling you and you hear this voice and you're wondering, "What? There's got to be something more." In other words, I think God has placed within the heart of every man a desire to know, why am I here? What am I doing on this earth? What is my purpose here in life? And, and it's, it, to me, it's part of being created in the image of God. And, and we have this desire to know what our purpose is. And ultimately, our purpose can only be fulfilled when we know God. So God is calling to us. He's reached out to us. The whole part of the gospel is that it has been given to us. Grace and peace to you from God our Father. This is verses 3 and 4. I'm going to look back at a couple of verses now to reemphasize these points. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who what? Gave himself for us. Why, Why is the gospel... And grace so intertwined? What is the gospel? You know, the gospel is a term. I've already thrown it around a lot this morning. It, it's, it, it literally means good news. In other words, something happened, and now we're reporting on it. And the report on what has happened is so good, it's unbelievable. It's what the word gospel means, good news. But what is the gospel? If I were to say to you, hey, Tell me the gospel. Tell me the good news. What would, you, what would you say is the good news? Here's how I see. I'm going to give, I've tried to take a moment to write this out to make it clear so that, so that maybe as we share with one another, we can, we can not only grasp the heart of the gospel, but, but that we would be able to share it with others as well. So here's, here's what I see from a biblical standpoint, as the gospel. It is this. There is a God who created us and wants us to worship him. He's the maker. He's the creator. His desire was for us to have fellowship with him and worship him. However, all people have rebelled against this God. And by rebelling, we worship things that we shouldn't worship. We want to go our own way. From, from the time of Adam and Eve, through all mankind, we're all infected with this rebellion. The Bible calls this rebellion sin. And it always, always has the consequences of bringing death. It's the cost of rebellion. And no matter how hard we try, we can't break the cycle of rebellion in our lives. We can't pay the price for what we've done wrong in this rebellion. So God sent Jesus, fully God and fully man. He came for us. He paid the price for our rebellion. He went to the cross and he, he died for us. He substituted himself 
for us. And when he died on the cross, he paid the price for all the sins of man, past, present, including us, and the future. All the sins were placed on him. After he died, he was placed in a borrowed tomb. But three days later, as proof that sin had been defeated and we can walk in victory, Christ Jesus was raised from the dead. He appeared to over 500 people. Many of his own followers who had heard him talk about this still didn't even believe that he was raised from the dead until they put their fingers in his, his hands and his side. After a period of time, he, he ascended back. He went back into heaven in a bodily form. He didn't become a ghost and then go back, or spirit, and then go to heaven. He ascended in bodily form, where from there till now, he is at the right hand of God the Father. And what's he doing? He's waiting to come back to judge the world and to restore order. And while he's waiting, he's praying for you and me. He's not doing nothing. He's, he's interceding. He's praying for every single one of us as proof that all of this is true. God poured out his spirit on all believers to empower us to live life to empower us to strengthen each other and build up the church and for us to reach out to those who are still locked in this death cycle of rebellion. This is the gospel. This is all from God. He's the one who did it. Paul says in verses 11 and 12, I want you to know, brothers, that the gospel I preached is not something that man made up. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. Paul's saying, I didn't make this up. It's not my story. This is God's story for all of humanity. And he's saying, by the way, this story is so good, I couldn't have made it up. This is the gospel that Paul preaches over and over and over and over and over again. All of those components about God created, man sinned, God sent his son to die on our behalf, and the resurrection is proof that sin has been defeated, and as a sign and seal that all of this is true, he put his spirit, his very presence and power into our hearts and lives, to live life, to build up the body of Christ, and to reach unbelievers. This is the gospel. It is really, really good news. On August 20th, 2008, a 61-year-old engineer who had, uh, really for the sake of blessing a country, had begun work in Afghanistan. He and an Afghan uh, 
business partner were traveling back from a funeral when they were stopped by some armed men at a roadside and asked for their papers to be checked. After a period of time, the 61-year-old man realized, oh my goodness, this is not going well. And they eventually kidnapped both he and the Afghan man that he was with. They took him into the mountains of Afghanistan, uh, hiding in villages, moving them every two or three days. Um, they had been uh, kidnapped by a, one of the leading Islamic terrorist groups in Afghanistan, who were then calling back to the man's business and also um, calling it the guy's wife, trying to get money from them for their release. Eventually, his business gave some money, and the Afghan friend of his, who had been kidnapped, was released, but they were demanding a lot higher price for the American than either his company or his family could possibly pay. He knew with the price they were asking, there was no way that they had the money to pay for his release. After a period of time, they got frustrated with him. They kind of left him on his own, and he tried to escape. He got out of his locks, and he started running down the mountain, uh, except he was spotted by some of his kidnappers. And as he said, a 21-year-old man can run through the hills a lot faster than a 61-year-old man. He said, plus, I was barefoot, and I wasn't properly clothed. They caught me in no time. They returned him. They unshackled him even more so that he couldn't possibly escape. This guy felt like his life was over. On October 14th, in the middle of the night, he's been in captivity for almost two months now. On October the 14th, in the middle of the night, somewhere around 2 or 3 a.m., he wakes up and hears the latch to his door open. And as he's in his sleepy haze looking through, his eye, you know, opening his eyes, he says to the guy, hey, who are you? And the guy at the door tells him to shut up and to be quiet. And then he realizes the guy is speaking English to him, and another guy comes through the door. They, they quickly, and then he starts hearing shots fired, and he hears shots fired outside. He hears shots fired even in his room. He's so dazed that he doesn't know what's going on. And the guy says to him, we're here to rescue you. Unbeknownst to him, while all this is going on, special military forces had planned an, a rescue of this guy. They, they had taken two Chinook helicopters, parked him about three miles from the village where they finally located him, they had hiked through the middle of the night um, some three miles, also going up an elevation of 2,000 feet in a matter of a couple of hours. Which, by the way, let me tell you, I just hiked in the mountains, and I can imagine going through with full gear on, elevation 2,000 feet, and doing it in a couple of hours. These guys were in shape. But the guy said to him, do you want to go home? That was his only question. The, the, after he told him to shut up, he said to him, do you want to go home? And he said, I can't think of anything better. They took him home, 
None of the special forces were lost in that rescue attempt. Here's my point. God not only gave this to us, in a sense, in a true sense, God has rescued us. He rescued you. This guy had no ability. He didn't have the money. He didn't have the power. He didn't have the resources to rescue himself. God has rescued us. Grace and peace to you from God, our Father, and our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to what? To rescue us. From the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. He, by his grace, has rescued us. What, what did we need to be rescued? Well, we needed God to do what he did, but what did I have to do? Kind of like what this guy, yeah, I'm, yes. I mean, what could this guy do to rescue himself? He could do nothing. What did the guy have to learn, you know, in order to be rescued? Nothing. Listen, if someone is drowning, the last thing they want is for you to throw them a manual on how to swim. What they need is a rope, and Jesus is that rope. God didn't say, hey, you got to learn all these things before you can come into the faith. No, he said, come into the faith, and now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to transform you. I'm going to rescue you. You have been rescued by his grace. Not only does he, did he give himself and he rescues us, but his grace now sustains us. Look, maybe you agree with me up till this point. But you're asking yourself, is, is the grace of God, is it, is it mainly for those who don't know Jesus yet? God's grace is for all of us for every day. And it's all or nothing. In verses 6 and 7 in Galatians 1, Paul is saying, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. So, the gospel of Christ is this. God did it, we surrender to him, and then he changes us and sustains us. It's all or nothing, and it's nothing more. Listen to me again. It's all or nothing, and it's nothing more more. To begin with the, with the grace of God and then to try and continue in our own effort is foolishness. Paul says to the Galatian church over in chapter 3, we'll get to in a couple of weeks, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by observing the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After the beginning, here's the important part, after beginning with the Spirit, are you now trying to attain your goal by what? Human effort. Last year, I, I bought a new, uh, uh, new weed eater. <clears throat> it's not big news, but 
You know, uh, over the years, since my children had been mowing my yard, I bought cheap lawnmowers and cheap weed eaters. And I'll tell you why, because I know. I'll go around a rock. They're going right through it, you know, with the, with the mower. They're not, they, they don't have the same idea of equipment as I, I do. They don't see the same dollar value. Now, they're, they've been great as, uh, as yard slaves for a number of years, and I, I really do appreciate all they've done. And just last week, I had to do the whole yard myself where I did the weed eating and mowing, and it was like 100 degrees, and I nearly died out there. I'm like, oh, God, thank you for 100 children you gave me. Give me some more. So not going to happen, but I got grandkids on the way, so I'm going to teach them to mow next. But anyway, I, I, I bought a, a new weed eater, and this guy, he says to me when I buy the weed eater, uh, because I bought this nice one, he said, hey, don't put regular gas in this. I'm like, huh? He said, don't put gas from the gas station in this. I'm like, dude, I, I, I'm such an idiot. I, I don't know where you get gas from, if not the gas station. And he goes, no, 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 the gas over here at the Chevron close to my house, it's gas, but it's like 10 to 15% ethanol. And ethanol ruins small engines. It gunks them up. It, it, he said, you've invested in a nice weed eater. If you want this thing to last, you need to go get 100% gasoline. And I'm like, okay. He goes, oh, we happen to sell this uh, right here for like $20 a gallon. I'm like, what? It did have the oil mixture in it, by the way. Fortunately, uh, God has given me people in my life who know much more about stuff than I do. So uh, I was talking to Troy, who had just, who knows more stuff than I do about this kind of thing. And he goes, yeah, they, they just moved down the country. And he said, yeah, there's a gas station up near me uh, that sells pure gasoline. I felt like a dealer. You know, I'm like, I'm like some sort of junkie. I want the pure stuff. I don't want this ethanol. And so I gave Troy all my gas containers because they, he's up where they, uh, they do boats. And evidently you want real gas for boats and not the mixtures. I, I didn't, I'm like clueless on this. Here's the thing. Just the 10% of this additive to the gasoline will destroy the motor over time. And, and it's the same way with the gospel. Any little addition to the good news. Hey, it's, it's Jesus plus you got to go to church. It's Jesus plus you got to tithe. It's Jesus plus this. Any addition to the gospel over a period of time, it's going to wreck the whole thing. Paul says it's in fact no gospel at all. And we're all tempted to say, hey, what's next? What, what's new? We all want the new and improved thing. I, I have in my pocket, um, this is my iPhone. It's an iPhone 7. Um, in a couple of months, iPhone is going to come out with an iPhone 8 or an iPhone 7 blah, blah. And they're going to they're gonna, they're gonna go after me. And they're going to say, hey, you know that iPhone 7? It's, it's just junk now. You need this because it's new and improved. And you know, like, like a dog, I'm going to say, I do need one. I need one of those new ones because the screen curves around the side or it does something special. I need me one of them new ones. It's like that with the gospel. After a period of time, we're like, yeah, Jesus was good, but what, what's next? 
the Spirit of God in my life, empowering me. That's good, but what next? Paul is saying, there is no not what's next in the gospel. What's next is this. God sustains you. God empowers you. His presence has been given to you to, to live a life of freedom, to build up the body of Christ, the church, by the gifts of the Spirit He's placed within you, and to go rescue others by the power of His might that indwells you. God's grace sustains us. Now, let me say this. For those of you who are sitting there thinking, yeah, but I got to do something. I understand. We work out our salvation. I mean, do you hear that? That phrase from the Bible? We work out our salvation with fear and trembling. But it's all by the grace of God. It's all by the power of God that indwells us. You know, at times, I, I got to tell you, I struggle with this message, just to be honest. I've been infected with church my whole life. I mean, I, I, I was drugged to church when I was like six weeks old. And from there till now, and I'm getting old, I've been in church my whole life. And somewhere along the way, I, I, I still got this thing in me that says, if I want to be a better Christian, then I need to do this thing. A better Christian reads his Bible. A be better Christian tithes. A better Christian obeys all the rules. A better Christian... Listen, here's the whole problem with that. I, I believe in Bible reading. I believe in giving. I believe in living a holy life. I believe in going to church. But here's the remarkable thing. It doesn't make me a better Christian. Why? Because I never made myself a Christian in the first place. Only by the grace of God was I able to come into this relationship with Christ. And now every moment of every day, it's the grace of God. Tim Keller says this. We never get beyond the gospel in our Christian life to something more advanced. The gospel is not the first step in a stairway of truths. Rather, it is more like the hub of the wheel of truth. The gospel is not just the ABCs, but the A to Z of Christianity. It encompasses the whole thing. In the words of that great hymn that Mr. Buddy loves, God's grace will what? Lead me home. It, it not only got me in, it's going to take me across the line. It's going to lead me home. Its implications impact us every single day, and we need to rehearse the grace of God in our lives on a regular basis. In other words, I need to tell myself when I start to feel attacked, when I start to feel like, oh, i got to do more, i got to do more, I need to rehearse the grace of God. How do I do that? I just say to myself, Jesus, thank you for coming to this earth. Thank you for living a sinless. Thank you for redeeming me. Thank you for dying for my sins. God, thank you that you raised Jesus from the dead and that sin has been defeated even in my... 
thank you that the power of God indwells me, the person of God. I need to rehearse the gospel. I'm just agreeing with God about what he's done in my life. And I believe as we do that our salvation will be worked out with fear and trembling. Because we realize in fear and trembling, it's not me, it's him. And I'm giving myself to him on a regular basis. So why do I bother to read my Bible? Because I love him. And it's a rehearsal of the gospel of grace in my life. Why do I pray? Because I love him and I want to have a relationship with him. I'm so thankful that God has done this in me. I, I, want, to, I want to hear from him. Why do I give money away? I, I, could, I got you know, three kids in college coming up. Why, I, you know, it could go a long way. Why do I give to the church? Because it's a response, and I understand. God, thank you for your grace in my life. God, there are other people that need rescuing. Help us help them come to know Jesus by the grace of God. Look, it doesn't mean I don't do anything. I like the way Dallas Willard puts it. He says this, grace is not opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. You see the difference? In other words, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. Doesn't mean, prove to me you love me, do what I said. It means, hey, if you love me, you're going to want to do what I said. It's a response of grace in our lives. Here's my desire for all of us as we wander through Galatians together. It's this. Receive the freedom God has given you. Receive and walk in God's freedom. Know that your freedom is a gift of God's grace. He has rescued you. Every one of you. And he sustains us by his grace. If you're here today and you've never received this gospel of grace for yourself, you've never received the truth that Jesus is the one who came to free you and to pay the price of your rebellion, today can be that day. Receive God's grace. And you may be here today and you did this a long time ago, but you would have to honestly say, you know what? I, I've been bewitched. I've been thinking that. It was by grace I got in, and now i got to do all this stuff, and I just feel, yuck. I feel imprisoned. I don't feel free. I want to say to you today, just return to the grace of God. Let his power fill you up and move in your life. Maybe you're here today, and you need healing or a removal of a burden or direction. God's grace is here to touch you in all of these areas. And I want to encourage you to receive it from him. I'm going to pray for us. We're going to stand. I'm going to pray for us. As I pray, the ministry teams are going to come down to the front. And whatever the Spirit of God may be stirring on you and in you today, I want to encourage you to receive prayer, to receive grace. Again, a fresh and a new just to let it be released in your life today so that you can walk in freedom. Stand up with me. Ministry teams, as I pray, come to the front. Then, Mitch will start a song, and as soon as I say amen, you just come and receive, receive prayer. Even, I tell you what, even while I'm praying, if you want to come and receive prayer, just come and receive prayer. Lord, we thank you. 
Lord, we, we look at this message of grace, and every time I look at it, Lord, I have to confess, this is so unbelievable. There's got to be some hook here. Something like, yes, but. Lord, I thank you in the kingdom there are no, there are no other things that are going to drop. The grace is just pure. It's undefiled. It is glorious. And Lord, it's our desire to walk in freedom today. The freedom of grace. Lord, I thank you that you love us so much. Lord, I pray for any person here who hasn't received your grace for the first time. Haven't, hasn't received the gospel, this news that Jesus Christ has paid the price of their sins. And if they'll just say yes to him, he'll, he'll free them from their sins. He'll put his very spirit within them. Lord, for those of us who have lived in the church for periods of time but have not somehow lost our way. Lord, may we return to this place of freedom. Thank you, Lord. Right now, if you need prayer, just move. Just come to one of these teams right now and receive prayer. As you do, our worship team's going to sing over us again this song of freedom. There's a come